Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining is my good buddy, Arthur Staple. Arthur, what's going on, man? Not too much. Anything going on with you? Uh, you know, no, no turmoil. No, uh, nothing's in flux. No, tr- no transition of any sort. It's uh, pretty much status quo over here in Vancouver. What about uh, what about with you? Oh, you know, just uh, quiet personally and professionally. A little bit, uh, a little bit of intrigue the last couple of weeks. I have to say. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, yeah, for those that I guess maybe you're new to the shore, haven't been following for long. Uh, this is your third appearance on the PDO cast. So I think, uh, it's safe to say you're officially a regular and, um, you know, the first two times we did, we did some Islanders deep dives and, uh, people seem to enjoy those. So I thought, I figured that, you know, this would be as good a time of any to check back in with the team and sort of, uh, kind of make sense of what's gone on this summer because yeah, like I, like, like I alluded to earlier at the beginning, it's, I feel like out of all the teams, um, they're the ones that sort of face the most uncertainty or transitional period here right now, based on some of the moves they've made and whether it's in terms of personnel or the front office decisions. So it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, there's a lot to get to here. Um, let's, let's start with the Tavares stuff. Um, you obviously, you didn't actually go to LA to cover, right? You were just kind of working it from home. Yeah, no, I, there was no stakeout for me, thankfully. Yeah, I was well. I was kind of surprised though, based on um, you know a lot of networks did have, send their reporters there, and they were kind of camping out. And we saw some pictures of various teams rolling up to those uh, LACA offices for the meetings, and reporters huddled outside. But other than that, it was sort of a lot of superficial coverage. Like we didn't really get much in terms of sort of what went on in those meetings and what the pitches were. I know uh, my colleague Chris Johnston wrote a bit about sort of how the Leafs approached it with their um, pitch or their sell to Tavares in their meeting from what you gather, like what, how did that go for the Islanders? Was it sort of uh, mostly an appeal to sort of, you know, his sense of loyalty and obligation to the fans and the franchise, or was there, was there some sort of actual um, process to sort of what, how they were trying to get him to sign back on with the team for another eight years? You know, I don't think it differed very much from the process all the way along. They, the one advantage, obviously, the Islanders had, which ended up not really mattering very much, was the fact that he was an Islander 
for the last nine years and, and really the process of wanting to keep him and wooing him began somewhere in the middle of the 2016-17 season um, when uh, principal owner Scott Malkin and co-owner John Ledecky started having pretty regular meetings with Pat Brisson, whether it was in Brooklyn. I think last year, a lot of them between Malkin and Brisson took place at those offices in LA. Um, and they were really keeping Pat and then by extension Tavares up to date on whether it was the the pitch for the new arena in Belmont Park, uh, which came to at least the preliminary part came to fruition last December, um, or other plans, um, you know, about the, the future of the franchise. And it certainly, at the time when I heard about them, um, it seemed intriguing to me. And I think uh, I had reported this all the way along, uh, first when I was at Newsday and then at The Athletic, that um, I think there was there was some talk of a job offer for Pat Brisson, uh, which didn't come to fruition when they when the owners were kind of doing what they called their listening tour, talking to a lot of agents and former players and executives that weren't working for other teams about a possible president of hockey operations job above Garth Snow at the time. This was during 16, 17, their first year owning the team. So mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of, there were a lot of things wrapped up in this and, and the main thrust of it all was we want John Tavares to stay. And obviously uh, in the other things that have been reported that, that uh, they didn't want to talk extension last summer. Um, you know, there's been a lot of debate on Twitter about whether there was a formal request from Tavares' side to not be traded. Whatever it was, ownership made sure that Garth Snow was clear that all throughout last season, there was no shopping him around. There was no, let's let's see what we could get for him. That came from Scott Malkin. So th- I think everything that they did for the better part of two years was trying to get him to stay. So I think that that last face-to-face meeting with Malkin and Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz was a chance for Tavares and his side to at least see these new guys in one room together, Lamarillo and Trotz, who he'd met with already. Um, but I don't think there was a uh, there was anything that was really surprising or, or magical, like, we've been saving this big thing for you for this week. Right. Um, so, you know, I think it was it was a lot of the same, and I don't think that's, that was necessarily a bad thing, and clearly the way that Tavares has uh, has talked at his press conference and wrote about in his Players Tribune article that that there was a lot of things that pulled at him emotionally towards staying with the Islanders that ultimately, you know, were superseded by what he what he wanted to go do in Toronto. Well, and it also felt like um, you know maybe this is a bit naive on our part, but it did feel like this team um you know for once really had some offseason momentum leading up to july 1st you know they get go out and get lou and then all of a sudden um you know they they get barry trotz coming coming along for the ride and it feels like mitch corn's coming with him and you know the draft played out perfectly we were wondering whether they'd use those two picks they had there in the, in the mid-teens to trade for a player who could help their roster right now but just based on the way it played out two really good prospects fell to them and it felt like everything was lining up for a really successful offseason and maybe i guess that's why why um you know people did feel a little blindsided by it obviously sort of the way it played out and leading up to that deadline and everyone just waiting to hear some sort of definitive word and not getting it maybe that was part of it as well but i know that like in talking to you over you know throughout the season and then even in the off season i believe at one point you you know you thought it was like an 80 20 that he'd come back to the islanders and i don't know like did you feel like this was kind of a surprise or should we see this should we have seen this coming based on some of the clues that were being dropped or, or or how do you feel about it 
You know, I, it was such a, you know, trying to take the temperature and, and put a percentage on it all the way along. I certainly asked a lot and I stupidly offered it up a lot um, <laughs> because we all fall into that trap of wanting to feel like we have a, a finger on the pulse. And sometimes you just don't, um, you know, 80, I said 80, 20, uh, the week that the, the meetings were happening. Cause I really felt like from the little that I've been hearing and some of the things, you know, Lou obviously doesn't let a lot slip, but I certainly know a lot of people that are, that have been in the Islanders front office for a long time. And, and a lot of people that are still there. Um, there was a sense of confidence because of those moves that, uh, that, you know, whatever whatever downcast feelings he'd had at the end of the year, um, when it certainly seemed like if nothing changed, he was out the door f- guaranteed, um, it seemed like a lot of that had turned around, and he was really looking for reasons to stay. And, and obviously the arena being coming to fruition in a few years was a big one. And and then, you know, so- not solving their, their front office problems, but making the sort of definitive changes that really hadn't been made in his entire time with the Islanders. It just seemed like uh, if those were the signs that he were lo- he was looking for, he, he found them. So I think it was, there was a little bit of that. Well, well now why would he leave? But um, yeah, it was, you know, it was a surprise, a shock, maybe not because I think as the week went on, it sort of seemed, you know, the little things that were creeping out were seemed more and more like, oh, yeah, no, he had a chance to listen to these pitches. And obviously, um, you know, when you start talking about childhood dreams, the way that he's been talking about mm. that, that's a pretty strong, that's a pretty strong pull, too. And there's not much you can do about it. So I would imagine that, you know, if, if Kyle Dubas and Brendan Shanahan didn't come in uh, as prepared uh, as they were and with, uh, you know, armed with a pretty good team and a pretty good plan in place that uh, maybe maybe it would have swung back to the Islanders because of the things that they did. But that was that little extra that, that put it over the top. Well, what I'm interested by is, you know, obviously, um, you know, as, as you mentioned, as the week went on, maybe it started becoming uh, or opening the door, making it a bit more clear that maybe he was leaning towards leaving. But I'm sure that, you know, for Lou and, and, and for the brain trust for the Islanders, there was, you know, they were heading into the process with an optimism that they would be able to convince him to stay and that they'd be building around him and Matthew Barzal as a one-two punch for the next however many years to come. Um and then obviously when that fell through and a few hours into the July 1st uh, spending frenzy, uh, Tavares announced that he was signing with the Leafs. And then shortly thereafter, uh, the Islanders made a bunch of moves that I was very critical of with Leo Komarov and Val Filpula. And, you know, they re-signed Thomas Hickey and then they brought in some some depth guys. But like from your understanding, was that sort of the plan all along, regardless of what happened with Tavares? Or was it one of those things where they kind of got the pull, the rug pulled out from under them a little bit and then just because it was so late in the process and, you know, O'Reilly talks had gone towards the blues and maybe they missed out on some other guys like Stasny and all of a sudden they were kind of left scrambling and that sort of did them in a little bit as well. You know, I don't, I don't get the sense that Lou is ever really caught off guard by those kinds of things. And, and I can certainly, you can certainly see even now, uh, you know, they have whatever 16 or 17 million still in cap space still left after all those signings. So, you know, even Tavares at 11 and a half or whatever it was going to be per year still would have fit. Um, so I get the sense that these were moves that Lou wanted to make. Um, you know, he, he's, he's always loved the, the, the grinder types. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I think 
you take what you get from him in the in the brief media appearances he's had, and he's talked about culture change, which you know is always the the key phrase when somebody new comes in at the top of the food chain. Um, and I think in this case, despite the fact that Garth Snow had already locked up a lot of guys that fit these roles, um, I think Lou wanted to see a little bit more, a little bit more veteran depth. Uh, you know. It, the obvious thing that I'm sure we'll get into it about, you know, last year's Islanders giving up as many goals as they gave up and their mm-hmm. penalty kill being as historically bad as it was. Um, you go out and get a guy like Val Philpula, who has traditionally killed fewer penalties, as I was looking up in his Detroit years than I would have thought. But I guess I think in his later years, he's become a more reliable penalty killer and face-off guy. Komarov became more of a face-off guy last year. He's he's always been a mainstay with the least penalty kill since he came to the NHL. Um, so I think those guys maybe were more backburner guys, but when you lose Tavares, you're obviously not going to go right out and replace your number one center. Not especially not in this era, you know, in this era of the NHL and in this particular iteration of this free agent class. But maybe you go more aggressively because you need someone to take faceoffs because Tavares took you know, probably 35% of the Islanders face-offs. And Tavares was a penalty killer. Nikolai Kuhlman was a penalty killer, even though he was hurt most of last year. So, that you know, I think maybe you're you're trying to fill in the margins that you maybe would have anyway that if Tavares were coming back. But now you get aggressive in filling in the margins, which, as we know from our previous, my previous appearances with you, uh, is a sore spot for people who like you who observe the league and look at it in a very numerical way that, that these bottom six guys that the Islanders keep locking up to to kind of big deals, um, just the way of the world. So yeah, I think maybe they had in mind, but got a little overly aggressive when this was at the. Yeah, yeah, that, well, that's what I figured, and you know, it's it's tough with Lou because obviously he's been around the game for so long now, and you know, he has his track record, and we sort of we know kind of or we think we know sort of what type of players he likes and sort of prefers and you and you you mentioned those guys for example but at the same time it's really tough evaluating in recent years sort of what role he played um within the Leafs hierarchy just because there were so many uh cooks in the kitchen and it was always tough to tell like it, it felt like you know especially analytical types would whenever something good would happen with the Leafs they'd be like, oh, this is a great job by Kyle Dubas. He clearly won uh, the debate. And then when something bad would happen, like the Matt Martin, Martin signing, for example, um, they'd be like, oh, there goes Lou doing his old stuff again. So it's been really kind of, I'm sure the truth, as always, is somewhere in the middle there. But we never really got any clarity towards that. And I guess, I don't know, maybe some of these signings and how things develop with the Islanders in, in the weeks, months, and years to come will sort of maybe uh, shed some light on that. I, I, I guess it's not... For Islanders fans, I'd say it's not exactly overly encouraging based on how things have happened so far. But at the same time, like we like we said, it's when you go into it with a plan of okay, let's let's kind of focus on uh, getting John Tavares back here, and then all of a sudden you're looking around afterwards and kind of picking picking from the scraps available. It's uh, it's obviously not a desirable position to be in. No, and I think uh, I think maybe the first little setback of of Lou's tenure was at the draft that first night when Philip Grubauer went to Colorado, the Islanders were keenly interested. I think Lou correctly uh, identified Grubauer as the one guy that you really wanted to get who was available, whether it's free agent or, dra- or trade. Um, and obviously the key for Brian was, was shedding that. Con- mm. 
Yeah. Um, all right. All right. Let's take a quick break here. Here from a sponsor, and we'll. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of more for us to uh, to get into here and other things. Sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey PDO Cast is SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek's the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event, whether you're searching for a last minute deal planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift for someone in your life, SeatGeek's going to help you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. SeatGeek's designed to make your ticket, buy ex- ticket buying experience easier than ever before, and I can personally vouch for that. Uh, I know I've mentioned it plenty of times on the show in the past, but I'm going to continue to do so because it really does make what can be a very annoying, grueling process as easy as possible. Uh, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and whenever I'm looking to go to any type of event, I pull it up, I type in the event I'm trying to go to, and it instantly scours the web for me, puts everything that's available for that particular game or concert or show into this super easy to use color coded map that shows all the tickets that are available and grades them based on the value they provide. And then you just pick whatever's in your price range or whatever you're looking for, and you're pretty much good to go. It really is that simple. It's just a couple short minutes and a couple clicks, and you're good to go. Um, and the best of all is because you're listening to today's episode of the Hockey PDO Cast, you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today. That's promo code PDO for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now let's get back to Arthur Staple and the Hockey PDO Cast. Yeah, no, I'm so before the break there, we started talking about Robin Leonard, and I think that that was one of the moves that I actually did like that, that the Islanders made uh, in this free agent period. Obviously, uh, with goaltending being such a volatile position, you don't want to... Um, you don't want to commit too many resources to it, or especially term, just because you never know how it's going to play out, and maybe that was part of... Um, you know why they might have balked at the idea of the price they might have had to pay for for Philip Grubauer, not just the assets they would have had to give up, but the contract he would want in return. And at just the one year, one point five million, I think it's sort of a no brainer. Um, you know, high upside bet for them to make. Obviously, uh, Robin Leonard has kind of an up and down track record, and and is considered around the league as as quite a bit of a hothead. And and maybe you know it won't work out, but you know it, at at that point, if it doesn't. Um, I think they can obviously easily move on and next summer try to find a, a different solution in net. But, you know, this is going to be a fascinating season for the Islanders for me because it's going to be the ultimate test case for how much of an impact a coach and the system they have uh, can really have on a team. Because, you know, when you watch those Islanders games last year, obviously part of it was the personnel. And I imagine Barry Trotz will not have the same amount of success as he had in Washington because he doesn't have the same pieces to play with. But at the same time, it did remind me a little bit of kind of watching those Patrick Watt teams in Colorado where, you know, the, the lack of, strong defensemen and maybe forwards who can play in their own zone is one thing but it was sort of just like a lack of a plan and and just guys kind of freelancing and roaming around their own zone and there being so many uh scoring chances for the opposing team so we know from barry trotz over the years that you know he really preaches a a fundamental defensive game and uh you know he has a strong system in his own zone so if they can tighten that up a little bit then maybe um you know, some of the loss that they're going to have offensively missing Tavares will be counteracted a little bit just because they won't be historically bad defensively. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, if you're just looking, especially at the defense core, um, you know, they re- they bring back Thomas Hickey, you know, a, a guy who I think helps them um, 
also a good guy in the room, and especially with the Tavares situation, a guy who's been here before and says and does a lot of the right things. So they bring him back. Um, they're one of the two finalists for Calvin DeHaan to bring him back on a four-year deal, which I think was a bit of a surprise to a lot of people given the, the major injury he just came off of. But I think that says that either they felt like there wasn't a whole lot else to get on the market or, or give up an asset to get someone on defense, or uh, Barry Trotz and Lou Lamoureux looked at that decor from last year and said, uh, yeah, we can work with this. You know, they, they're not, they couldn't possibly be that bad and, and feel confident in his abilities, as you were saying, to, to build the kind of structure that just was, was missing last year. And, uh, you know, I think um, fans and certainly their emotion can get the better of them uh, at the best of times and at the worst times, i.e. last season, um, watching them play the way that they played and seeing who was behind the bench, I think made everyone say, anybody we can get rid of, we need to get rid of. And, and I think that's not always the right way. And especially in this day and age, like unless you, you've got a good deal lined up for uh, Justin Falk or a Tyson Barry to, to shake up, uh, you know, the top four of your group, they've got to go with what they have. They have Nick Letty, they have Ryan Pollock who's a restricted free agent, um, you know, and they probably wanted to have Thomas Hickey and Calvin DeHaan uh, to go with Johnny Boychuk and give them kind of a top five that they feel like uh, they feel like they can work with and that, you know, have had some success in, in prior years. So um, it's also interesting to me to see a lot of the guys that were responsible for the defensive side, uh, you know, have gone out and gotten new jobs. Luke Richardson's gone right to Montreal to be an assistant. Greg Cronin was just named uh, head coach of the Avalanche's new farm team in Colorado. So these are guys also that, you know, it was a, it was a terrible year for everybody that, that touched anything to do with the Islanders zone last year. And I don't think it, uh, you know, I, I think it's fixable. I think anything uh, in this league can be turned around. It's not, it's not just terrible personnel and terrible coaching. There was, there was some, something hanging over this team, um, on the on the defensive side, penalty kill, D zone structure, whatever whatever you could look at that that just snowballed and got out of everybody's control. So I think I think Barry Trotz has looked at this roster and said, I you know I can fix this with what we've got. Yeah, well, I mean, it'll be tough for them to replicate being as, as poor as as they were last year. I mean, some of those numbers are. I remember, I obviously, I watched quite a bit of Islanders games, and I think from an entertainment perspective, you know, the back and forth uh, shootouts with six five scores and never being out of it, but never also their opponents being out of it. It make, makes for great theater, but at the same time, like you know, nearly thirty six shots against per game, uh, like three point six goals against per game. I mean, it's just it's it's shocking stuff. I believe the from the uh, you know shot prevention uh, category, the only team that really rivaled them in recent memory was that twenty fourteen. Buffalo Sabres team that was openly tanking so I think that uh that's that's that sort of says it all there and 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 obviously you know the Capitals under trots in those four years uh only the Kings were stingier defensively in terms of giving up goals and I, I don't think it'd be reasonable to expect that but th- there should be some sort of a middle ground here where it just with the pieces they have in place um just having some sort of a defensive structure could really go a long way and I'm, I'm kind of curious to see both which guys um you know benefit from that change change and can really excel and maybe make something more of themselves and also if a if a guy like robin leonard is able to um you know come in and finally give them some some goaltending that they really kind of you know it's always tough for last year um there were so many 
things to point at and blame and wonder what went wrong and you know the coaching the the, the defensive structure itself and then obviously the goalie is not making the save so it all kind of comes together and and i think there's from that regard i do think there's um you know a reason to be optimistic um now how much of a difference that ultimately make and whether it'll be able to counter attack counter act the uh the offensive loss is an entirely different discussion but i think that i don't know maybe maybe it'll actually be a, a net negative for us because they'll be just less entertaining to watch next year because Barry shots teams typically are that way yeah, I mean, it, I think when you look, the, the starkest number to me was the penalty kill. I mean, I, and when I would would kind of do a quick search uh, online um, towards the end of the year, as numbers were were getting more and more ridiculous about how far back you had to go to see a team that was under seventy five percent efficiency on the penalty kill. Um, it was nineteen eighty eight, eighty nine. In case anyone was wondering, um, and that's and that's astonishing. Like to go through. The, the the years of of you know 200 points for Gretzky um, <laughs> and in the early 90s of of you know guys who were prolific scorers uh, and and you know big name guys that there wasn't a penalty kill at the bottom of the league that was worse than the Islanders put out last year it's it was mind boggling and I think you know bringing in Komarov and bringing in Philpola and trading for Matt Martin and still having Casey Zizekas and Cal Clutterbuck and Andrew Ladd. Um, you know, I, I, I sensed, and I, you know, I, it's, it's armchair quarterbacking now, but I sensed in talking to some of the guys like Zizekas and Clutterbuck who take a lot of pride in the defensive side and, and playing that crash and bang style and being the first two forwards over the boards on the penalty kill. Um, I think they got guys like that. You know, it's, a lot of it as penalty killers like to talk about is effort. You know, you just have to have the motor running at all times. And when you see literally nobody else in your team giving a crap about playing without the puck, I imagine it's pretty demoralizing for guys who, who run more on effort than they do on skill. And um, I don't think you want this many guys like that, but I think, I think the message that Lou is trying to send, and I guess that Trotz is trying to send because he's, he's signing off on these signings as well is that the skill guys got to understand that this is not, this is not solely their area. Like they, they, you know, the creative, the creative guys like Barzal, um, obviously, you know, can run the show, but also you have to listen to the veteran guys and the guys who've had A's on their chest and all this cliche stuff that people, when you talk about it, their eyes glaze over and I get it, but I, I'm just, you know, just trying to figure out what they're doing. I think that's what they're doing. They're trying to set a bit of a foundation of how hard they have to work. And you bring in guys who do work hard, even if they don't always work smart and you go from there and maybe they're going to be terrible this year. But, but I think uh, without Tavares here, you're, you're starting to look a little bit more long-term at, at building this thing up as opposed to, all right, we got Tavares back. Let's just go for Brooke right now. Hmm. Yeah, well, I'm kind of curious sort of how those two things tie together because obviously, um, you know, bringing in Lou and, and, and Barry Trotz was sort of signal that, and this was obviously before they knew whether or not Tavares was coming back, but those two guys do kind of strike me as, um, you know, they try to get this thing up off the ground as quick as possible and, and sort of go for being, you know, competitive and respectable above all, above all else. And I do wonder whether, 
sort of what the trajectory of this franchise is moving forward because there are still even without Tavares there are a bunch of intriguing pieces and I think they do well to you know give guys like Anthony Bovier for example we saw a lot from him last year just attach him to Matt Barzell's hip moving forward and give him as much ice time and opportunity as he can maybe you you finally call up guys like Kiefer Bellows and Josh Hosang and you give them some run and sort of hope to catch lightning in a bottle there um but those guys do kind of run counterintuitive to what we'd expect from from those two guys calling the shots. And I know that you know it's tough to be critical of, of Barry Trotz and the Capitals, considering they they wound up winning it all. But I think if you look at it, you know it's fair to suggest you know maybe they could have used guys like Andre Burakovsky and Jakub Rana more. And he obviously gravitated towards more defensively reliable, responsible types instead, veteran leadership and all that. And I'm just not sure if what the Islanders are going to be trying to accomplish both this season and in the next couple of years to come and whether um, it's as good of a fit as you might have thought otherwise just in a vacuum based on sort of the names of, of and sort of the the reputation they have around the league. Yeah, and I think I think that reputation and the name factor obviously was they were trying to get that done with Tavares and, and I imagine that um, you know, there's still there's still some guys that are that are on the trade block. Uh, whether it's an Eric Carlson, Jeff Skinner, and Falk in Carolina, um, you know, there's still guys that that you'd want to have be part of your team. You know, Panarin in Columbus, but you know, are they gonna are they gonna be in another situation like they were with Tavares if they were to make a splashy trade for Artemi Panarin? And he says, eh, I don't know if I want to sign with you guys either. Like, then you're right back where you were this summer, next summer. And I don't think the franchise can keep taking those kinds of body blows. So, um, you know, I, I, I think, and this could all be blown apart if Lou makes a big trade in the next few weeks. But I think, uh, I think one of the guys that is starting to seem to me as a key for what they can do um, to re- start to replace Tavares is Brock Nelson, mm-hmm. who's a restricted restricted free agent. He's got his arbitration hearing in the beginning of August. It's a four-time 20-goal scorer, um, but he is a guy that gets uh, the uh, the big brunt of, now that Josh Bailey has become a decent you know producer, and we'll see what happens with him as well with Tavares gone, but Josh Bailey used to be the Isles Twitter whipping boy, and now it's pretty securely Brock Nelson. There's a guy who um, scores goals in, in bursts and then goes dormant for a while. Doesn't always look like he's the most engaged guy on and off the ice. Um, and, uh, and now, you know, Lou has basically said, we're, we're keeping this guy. He's probably going to be our number two center to start the season or somewhere in that middle six. Um, and, uh, you know, and really he, you know, he was the, he was a third line guy all of last year, obviously with the emergence of Barzal and his numbers kind of tailed off accordingly. And, and when Josh Hosang went down, that was really the end for Nelson. Cause he played a lot of the year, Andrew Ladd, there was guys bouncing around on his line and he didn't really, he's not a, he's not a real creator, but now Tavares is gone. Barzal's going to get a lot of the attention. So this is a chance for Brock Nelson. If he's going to be here, he's shown that he's a goal scorer. Um, he's had some chemistry with Anders Lee in the past. Who's probably going to be his left wing. If he's going to be the number two center and Lee is a guy who obviously benefited from Tavares. So I think if they're going to, if they're going to do something, you know, to, to compensate for Tavares' loss, I think there's a lot, there's a lot riding on whether Brock Nelson can be a, a consistent contributor. And if he can, then yeah, I think they can, 
you know, they like you said, they don't need to score as many goals as they did last year to be successful. They just need to keep them out of their own net at a much better pace. And and Brock Nelson is a is kind of a prototypical number two center. He's a he's a big body. Um, you know, he he's relatively smart away from the puck. Although his his you know his analytics haven't always been the best, but he's not terrible, and and he can certainly score goals. So, um, you know, I think. I think if they're what they're thinking and you can just put the pieces together of, of how they want to put it, to, you know, how they want to see it. And, and this is not, you know, Barry Trotz trying to get Evgeny Kuznetsov to get to that next level. This is, you know, this is a, this is a different, we're in a different weight class now trying to you right. know, get Brock Nelson to be a number two center. But, but I think it's, I think it's important for them. And if, if he is still here when the season starts and he signed to a decent length deal and he's the number two center, then, uh, you know, like you said, there's still, there's still some pieces here that, that say this team is not going to plummet to the bottom of the standings unless, you know, lots of other bad things happen. And I don't, I just don't see it happening. So he, he could end up being a pretty important guy going forward. Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of talent in place. And I guess that's what kind of also it's a double-edged sword makes it a bit disappointing when you kind of deem that maybe it's not being optimized or this team should, should be capable of more and it's not being put in a position to succeed but like kind of the most common pushback i've gotten from islanders fans and, and we'll get into the fan base and the online presence in a second because uh i'm very fascinated to talk about that with you but the most common pushback <laughs> i've gotten has been you know whenever i comment on ross johnson for example getting a four-year deal and bringing in matt martin and sort of signing all these third fourth liners is you know, oh, there's more moves to come. Um, you know, this is all just part of the process and all of this is going to come together and make more sense once, you know, the next dominoes fall. Do you get the sense that there is something big coming like that? Or for the most part, do you feel like this is going to kind of be the team at least for, you know, this season and maybe next summer they recalibrate and do something bigger? I get the sense that they're trying to do something. And I think, you know, whether it happens, obviously, that's not just not so not solely up to Lou. But I think since he's, you know, since they got to the draft floor, he's been trying to do stuff. And, and I think, you know, if you didn't see Wallstrom and Dobson fall into their range, I think he would have moved one of those picks for, for some immediate help, whether it was a defenseman or a forward. Um, and that was even before Tavares uh, had decided to go elsewhere. And I think they, you know, they were trying on Ryan O'Reilly. I don't think they had the, the assets to make that, that work. Um and I think that's another part of this that, you know, the draft picks were really their best assets to try to make a splashy deal. And now you're looking at, unless you're going to give up one of those guys, which I can't imagine you'd want to when you've got, you know, some cheap labor sitting there, that's, that's pretty prized. Um, so then you're really getting into, you know, Kiefer Bellows is one of your biggest assets, you know, maybe Ilya Sorokin over in Russia is a guy that you start to talk, but you know, is he a guy that you want to see as the future Number one goaltender here in a couple of years, so um, I think their options are a little bit more limited in what they can do trade-wise. Uh, so now I think it's more a matter of being patient and waiting out the market and seeing what happens with if Carlson gets moved or if, if Skinner gets moved and if some other things shake free. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I yeah, I think they're trying. I think um, you know, it's it's not uh, it, it's just not a situation where if you've got guys like Carlson or Panarin, if they got a choice, I don't think they're jumping to, to run to a place where somebody that's a commensurate star just said, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to, I'm going to leave you guys behind. So right. um, I think, I think it's, it's not an, you know, I don't know if that 
Lamarillo and Trotz anticipated this, um, but it's hard to plan for, you know, guys that have had such success and, you know, the, they know the Islanders from the outside, but you come in and it's, it can be a struggle here. It's, you know, there, it's a, it's always been kind of a, you know, an underground success kind of place. Obviously the on ice results have been incredibly mixed, but guys don't love to come here. And then when they do, they do like it. Mm. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's just hard to convince people, I think ahead of time, especially when you're dealing with, with a situation we getting, we seem to be getting into more and more now where star players are, are trying to pick their spots as they get to the end of their deals. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I really wouldn't want to put, um, you know, my Islanders, my faithful Islanders followers through that, uh, through that emotional, uh, roller coaster again. It's, you know, I, I, I interact with quite a few Islanders fans on Twitter and, and over the past year or two, uh, I've really appreciated kind of the jokes and the snark that goes on, the passion. And I don't know if you've experienced, uh, likewise or if you've noticed a bit of a change since, uh, since Tavares left, but it, it really, I don't know, it, it does feel like there's kind of, um, a collective like like vitriol and just like the jokes have kind of stopped i feel like i've gotten a lot of flack for for you know calling out some of the moves they've made and maybe part of that has to do with the fact that you know people for the most part kind of have some blind faith in lou and his track record and the fact that he's been around the game for so long and they just have faith that he's going to turn this thing around um or i don't know part of it is kind of just you know coming together and sort of trying to save face after um you know losing Tavares, but it's it, it does feel like the tenor and sort of the dialogue has, has, uh, has changed a little bit over the past couple of weeks. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, any, any fan base, even one that maybe had a little less, um, core craziness than I than Islanders <laughs> fans would have reacted the same way. You know, I, this is, um, this is kind of unprecedented in, in the NHL, certainly in the, in the lifetime and the fandom of, of most of the people that follow both of us on Twitter, it's, it's, um, it's not something anybody's seen before. And, um, I think you add in all of the mistakes, uh, whether you start with Charles Wong and Garth Snow and move up to Malkin and Ledecky, what we talked about earlier. Um, and to be frank, you know, as I've, I've been pretty consistent, I, there were some, there were some missteps by Tavares himself, I think in the last couple of weeks, um, you know, not anticipating how this was going to play out and kind of being lost in his own head as opposed to thinking like, oh, yeah, if I make this decision, all these people who love me are going to hate me and I need to just eat it. But, um, yeah, it's it's not a time, you know, and I've snarked my way through lots of interactions with Islanders fans over the years. And, and uh, you know, I think I always felt it was justified because I was getting a lot of a lot of intense reactions to uh, Alan Quine or Shaden Prince being in the lineup. And I always felt like this might be a little outsized reaction. And now it's totally justified to me. I think, I think to anybody who, who cares about a team is that much when you see the best player you've had for a quarter century, just say, you know, I love, I love being here, but really my, my actual dream was being somewhere else. I think that's, that's a crushing blow. I mean, I, you know, I try to, like a lot of us do uh, in on the media side, you don't want to get fall too in love with the team that you cover because you can have some bad reactions to it uh, the way that the fans do. Um, so you try to keep your distance. But I think there's also a time to just, you know, have empathy because it's it's just a terrible situation to be in, you know, through all of the other 
awful things over the years of arena, you know, uh, getting the rug pulled out from one of them about trying to get a new arena con men trying to buy the team, all the, all the stuff that everybody jokes about in the legend of Isles fandom. Uh, this is a genuine one. This is a guy that everybody loved that they felt like when they, when he pulled the sweater on at the draft in Montreal nine years ago, that like they were going to turn a corner. And for a brief time, a few years ago, they kind of did turn a corner and he was a big part of it. And for him to say, you know, yeah, it's been great, but, uh, but my, my real destiny lies elsewhere. It's, it's just an empty feeling. And, uh, and I could sense it from a lot of people that I've become friends with uh, in the Isles Twitter world that, it was definitely not a time for jokes and it doesn't really even still feel like a time for jokes. It's uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the atmosphere around the team has changed a lot with Lou being in charge. It's, it's a lot more tight lipped obviously. And, and uh, he runs a real tight ship and that's, I think people on the outside appreciate that. Um, but also I think it's just kind of coincided with this, this, you know, this like kind of nauseous feeling of, this Tavares situation and kind of seeing it unfold over the week and, and having it come to fruition on that day on July 1st. And it just, yeah, it, it's going to, it's going to take some games for, I think everybody in the, on our side and on the fan side to kind of get the taste out of their mouths and, uh, and, and move forward. Cause yeah, I don't, I don't see it happening before any, any games are played unless there's a big splashy trade Lou's got in mind to make everybody forget about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and listen, obviously, you know, um, there's been, you know, an interesting sort of uh, discourse about it's been brought up like, oh, how good Tavares, how good is Tavares actually? You know, he never was able to lead this franchise to anything other than, I guess, the one playoff victory. And, you know, whether he's a generational player, or whether he's a star or a superstar or however you want to classify it. But there, any way you slice it, there's no way no way around the fact that this is an obvious step back and at the same time um you know certain franchises go through uh you know they get a a star player like a Tavares and then if they wind up leaving it might be however many years until they get another guy like that that comes into the mix and unfortunately I think for Islanders fans um you know after just one season you don't want to put uh the weight of the franchise on on a guy like matthew barzell but if last year is any indication it looks like sort of the heir apparent is already in place and i guess that is something to hold on to for hope and optimism moving forward where it's not like they're necessarily just completely hitting the reset button and 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 sort of pushing this thing back a decade and starting from scratch either for sure and i think i think given the kind of guy that matthew barzell is that he you know, he's, they're certainly friends and, and I think they benefited from being around each other for the year last year. But I think Matthew Barzell is the kind of guy that says, okay, now it's, it's my team now and I'm ready to take it. Um, you know, he had that attitude a lot of last year. I think a lot of the, the veteran guys, including Tavares got a kick out of that sort of that incredible cockiness that, uh, you know, even though Tavares is, you know, only, you know, nine years older, it's seven, maybe not even seven years older than Barzell. Um, there's a, there's a little bit of a generational gap with a guy like Barzal and a guy like Tavares. Tavares was always a lot more quietly confident and Barzal is a, you know, is a, is a talky guy and, and, uh, and likes to back it up too. So I think it's, I think that part of it is going to take the higher end of this team in in an interesting direction. Um, you know, all the talk of he's a number one guy now and there's not a lot behind him. Will he be able to handle top pairs every night and, and more attention. And I I think he will, you know, I just think that's his, his general attitude is I'm good, bring it on. And he, you know, 
he's a guy who all last year shook out the, you know, he'd, he'd get a little geeked up uh, facing Patrick Kane or Sidney Crosby or his idols. But as he would say after a game, you know, he's like, after a couple shifts, I'm like, okay, now I want to be better than them. I want to score more points than them tonight. And I want people to notice me more. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a great attitude to have in this kind of situation where the team is, is trying to regroup from a, from a, from a tough situation. I think, uh, I think you need that kind of cockiness. And even if it doesn't translate into another eye popping year, uh, this is a guy who's always going to want to get better. So yeah, I think that situation is, um, uh, it could be a lot worse for the Islanders, uh, with Tavares left and, and Brock Nelson and Valtteri Filpola were your top two centers <laughs> going forward. So, uh, so yeah, I think I think that part of it is is in pretty good hands, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that cockiness and that confidence inspires a room that has gotten a lot older uh, with Tavares leaving and all these other guys coming in, um, and a coach who who commands, uh, you know, frankly, not a shot at Doug Wade, but just commands a lot more respect than than any Islanders coach that uh, that we've seen in a little while. So yeah, that'll be interesting, and I think a, a real positive for Islander fans. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, all right, Art, let's uh, let's get out of here. I think we kind of covered it all. Is there anything else about the team that we missed or that we should uh, we should touch on while we're here? Uh, no, you know, I think, uh, like I said, it's been it's been an interesting few weeks just getting adjusted to to life under the Lou cone of silence and mm. uh, and and having it all coincide with uh, with the Tavares situation. I think I think there's. You know, like I said, shock is probably too strong a word, but surprised that he left. And I think there was some shock in the front office, maybe not from the newer guys, but um, but definitely from some of the longer serving people there. And um, I thought it was interesting in his Players Tribune article that he thanked pretty much, you know, he thanked Garth Snow, he thanked Doug Wade, he thanked Jack Capuano, even thanked Scott Gordon, who he didn't get along with very well. And he thanked a bunch of players. Um, didn't Didn't thank Scott Malkin who was a guy who basically bent over backwards the last two years to try to get him to stay and did lots of things that like not setting a deadline to sign a contractor be traded last season that were very curious. And, um, you know, it just, it just, that was the one thing that struck me in that, in that whole situation that, uh, that, uh, you know, maybe there's something more to that connection that, that was a little more off than we thought, but I guess it's all reading the tea leaves and maybe, uh, Maybe somewhere down the road there'll be more of an explanation about how it all went down, but uh, but yeah, I guess this will this will put a bow on it, and then when when I'm out in Vancouver in the uh, in the springtime, we'll we'll have chapter four of this uh, <laughs> this radio serial of Islanders Twitter, and we'll see where they are then. Hmm, I'm looking forward to it. What's um? I'm, I'm trying to pull it up right now. When do the Leafs come to town? Um. I, I don't know if they only come once. It's later in the year, um, so it's going to be a little while. But uh, but it will be. There's certainly a lot of talk of uh, of you know burning jerseys in the outside the arena and Yikes. and um, they're 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 angry right now. It's best to to not say calm down or, or anything like that to anyone. It's uh, I think you just let it play itself out. And like I said, if there's a big trade that Lou's got to got to spring on everyone over the next few weeks. Maybe he'll do that and that'll get people moving forward. Um, but I think the thing that'll get everybody past it will be training camp and, and 
getting to see your team on the ice. I mean, this is this is such an incredible, even without Tavares, it's such an incredible transitional time. This organization that barely had any changes in the front office or behind the bench for over a decade. So, um, and they've never brought in anybody with with a pedigree like Barry Trotz has. So, I, I'm I'm very curious to see how that professionalism, how that that level of respect is gonna is gonna translate to a room that uh, that's probably probably would be feeling a little fragile otherwise yeah um so it's uh it's thursday february 26th uh according to my uh according to my record so that's gonna be uh or february 28th sorry so that's gonna be uh quite the game maybe i'll come out to uh to barclays for that and we'll uh we'll do a we'll do a podcast live from the arena or something like that around then awesome Sounds awesome good. awesome uh thanks a lot art enjoy the rest of your summer and uh we'll catch up with you soon and i recommend everyone give uh give a quick plug here and i know you obviously um are doing fine work at the athletic where can people find you online and subscribe and all that sort of stuff uh well we always have some some deals floating around at the athletic so if you just go to the site and and check out uh what sort of discounts you've got. Um, that would be great. Maybe in the summer, if you're a hockey fan, it might not be as many for you right now, but uh, certainly when we get going into training camp time in September, there'll be lots. And I'm at state athletic on Twitter. Uh, and hopefully we'll have some more JF Barube talk at some point, because really that's, if you can get him on this show, that would be the greatest thing of all time. I mean, he's, it's not like he's got anything better. I feel like he could carve out an hour. Maybe he might, he might even be a, might even be a co-host moving forward. Uh, we'll, we'll see if we can get old JF on, on the show. All right, Art, um, enjoy your summer and, uh, we'll catch up with you down the road. Thanks, Dimitri. Anytime. Appreciate Cheers. it. Before we get out of here, I did want to touch on a couple housekeeping notes. Uh, first off, I know that it's the off season now and most of the podcasts you do listen to are taking a bit of a break and we're going to tone it down a little bit on the Hockeypedia cast. We're not going to do two or three shows a week like we've been doing through the season, but the plan for, as of right now is to keep doing one show a week. Now, um, this is where I'm going to ask for your help because since there isn't that much going on and most of the transactions and the news has already been taken care of, uh, new relevant topics are kind of dry right now which is why i'm going to try to do what i did last year uh you guys seem to enjoy the mailbag shows we were doing in the off season and we're going to bring that back so if you have any questions or any topics you'd like for me and my guests to get to in future shows uh you can tweet at me at dim filipovich or you can if it's longer form and 280 characters isn't going to get it done uh feel free to send an email either at uh hockeypdocast at gmail.com or uh dimitri.filipovich at gmail.com and the second thing is um if you do have a minute or so i'd love it if you could take the time to go on itunes and leave the podcast a nice little rating and review uh we've gotten some pretty funny ones on there uh Someone went on there and and uh, left one as Jeff Berube and said the feelings mutual and I really enjoyed that and obviously if you can mix in a bit of humor and inside jokes into the five star ratings I'd greatly appreciate that on top but um, anything is good so just uh, yeah it's really quick really easy and it means a lot to both myself and the future of the show and with that said uh, we're gonna get out of here so let's uh, let's run that outro music and I'll uh, see all you next week. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.